US dollar barrel mark. What is all of this going to mean? Uh, as you know, Russia, Ukraine. So remember two years ago, uh, OPEC cut production, um, cut production uh, to manage our supply as a result of the COVID pandemic. With the world reopening up, uh, it is now it is now um, increasing, and they haven't changed their production. Meaning the price, as you know, supply demand factors mean the price is going up. Now, for me, this brings in the word inflation because we all get transported by oil. Mm, mm. And and I mean, when we look at this, I guess, and some of what is driving it, uh, I guess it's probably sort of trains our attention and focus on some of the geopolitics of it. Um, you know, Russia and the Ukraine situation, and I guess what NATO, uh, you know, has said about it, um, set, setting the stage for what many people are saying is Cold War II. As long as that persists, uh, we might be faced, I guess, with the same price environment. Because the reality is that um, I was reading an article that um, that quoted Joe Biden saying that war could come on Wednesday. And um, also last week you heard um, President Putin uh, go on about the potential of conflict. And for me, this is, yes, high oil prices, but for me, the loss of life, the loss of stability. War is not good for anything. Stable. I want you to just pause there for me for a second. Uh, there's a bit something a bit iffy on our line. So hold the line there for me for a second. Uh, we're going to call you back and try and reestablish uh, that on a much, much better connection. A uh, bit of a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something and Kondwengai Tandio. Kala sound. This is Metro FM Talk with Ayabonga Tawe. Ayabonga on Metro FM Talk 089-110-3377. Business, business Rap of the Day on Metro FM Talk with Ayabonga Kawe. Metro FM Talk. Yeah, 24 minutes it is after 7 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. Joined by Snesipo Manindra to uh, make sense of uh, the latest in the markets. And uh, Snesipo, hope we have you on a better line. And uh, yeah, we're talking about... Uh, uh, can you hear me now? Yes, that sounds a lot better. Um, yeah, I guess uh, the implications of uh, this oil price trajectory, but also the geopolitics of the current moment. Um, like I said, for me, the biggest challenge is the geopolitics of it all, because for me, OPEC can choose to increase production at any day of the week. That is not what I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned about is, should this persist? Should this persist and escalate to where it is looking like it's going to be heading? Because on one side, you've got, for me, those are other factors. Besides, we've just come out of a pandemic. Another war is not something that you would want. Mm, mm. Um, if you listen to a video, I think it was um, President Putin, after he was in a meeting with um, the French president, where he basically said that we've got nukes, so we're, we're going to die. Although we're in South Africa, we're not affected from a um, social perspective. We are impacted economically when you think of um, the oil price, because that's where it will hurt us, the oil price. That's where it will hurt yeah, us. Yeah. There will be other ancillary um, impacts, because we are a member of the British nation. There's other, from that perspective, from an international relations perspective, but it's 
further going to affect the worldwide sector repercussions. And mm. as you know, as a developing economy, it's very, very important for us to understand that we are impacted by the decisions of um, those global superpowers mm. and what mm. they decide to do. And no good will come from this. Yeah, and of course, I mean, Snesipo, we produce stuff in this country and uh, the implications that that might have on those consumer markets as well is something to think about. But the other thing I want us to, to maybe reflect on slightly is the form that these tensions, if they were to spill over, would take. I mean, a lot of people are thinking when we talk war, you know, we're talking tanks rolling into the Kremlin or tanks, you know, rolling into Kiev in Ukraine, uh, tanks from Russia uh, and tanks from NATO. But in some cases, I guess, you know, this might be digital warfare, scrambling of signal and all manner of other things, much similar to what I guess the trade war between the U.S. and China has unfolded into. Yes, that's the thing. It's um, Maybe a decade ago, I would say in the previous century, war used to be arms race. Now, mm. we're now going to the cyber aspects. We now are using the economics. We're using all levers that we can push. Not just information, um, violence, mm. because the biggest need is now about cyber security, um, disruption of supply, choking of financial access. In terms of using the World Bank to block your access, because these things are all funded by money. Again, no good will come from this. Yeah, yeah. Snezibo, I want us to shift from this story and go to Uganda, uh, where just uh, some news coming out of Kampala here. Now, we know Uganda is one of the uh, largest uh, coffee producers on the continent. uh, And uh, there's something here called the International Coffee Organization, which I understand you know, is the body, I guess, for, you know, coffee exporting uh, nations and uh, many of the people in that particular value chain. Now, Uganda has decided to withdraw from uh, an international coffee agreement. I mean, what would an agreement of this kind cover? And uh, what are some of the things that, I guess, Uganda is concerned about and that it once changed uh, in uh, the uh, International Coffee Organization? Okay, so coffee is for all intents and purposes in this discussion, a commodity uh, for Uganda. What, in what, else, what else would it be? Is this a, so for, it's a coffee it's a, it's a mechanism of trade. But what I think is the most important thing to actually understand is mm. that the Ugandan government uh, development authority wants assistance of price volatility. Again, because this agreement governs in terms of the pricing, it's open market price. Sometimes that pricing is not and it hurts the supply nature, climate change, import tariffs. These are actually all real structural things that mm. you need to factor in. But because you get it by joining the body, um, development, um, development um, authority with joining the body, it literally looked at, um, just from international perspective, not considering the specific social economic circumstances of Uganda as a developing economy, Structured. The thing being protected by prosperity, I think we've seen a real case in point Zambia and what happened when the copper pricing mm. meltdown happened. Mm. Mm. When you don't, and these are things that need to be considered upfront. Like I said, we need to move away from this economics one thinking. Mm. You know, the other and things, Nesipo, that I mean, the other thing that I guess is part of that move away from economics one thinking is that Ugandans are saying in this case that they want, um, you know, on the one hand, to be able to add some value to the coffee. So it might be just, 
you know, roasting or adding just one intermediate step that makes sure that the coffee doesn't leave as raw as it might be or the beans leave, leave with no value having been added to them. And then the other, I guess, is, you know, the, the terms with which their trade gets into some of the markets. It, it seems there are some barriers uh, that are placed in their way, be it by tariffs or duties or whatever, in getting the product into some of the markets of uh, their counterparts within the uh, coffee organization. Yes, it's, it's because they're unable to dictate their own terms. So remember, the the coffee association effectively works like a cartel. There's a cartel and for coffee. And it's not taking consideration. It does not take into consideration the social economic development needs of the producer. And that is fundamentally the issue: the social economic development needs of the user. We literally can copy and paste the same thing in any commodity that's being traded in the African continent. We, why we want to benefit? Benefication. Why? Because it helps in job creation and increases our value chain. We can't because the second cartel. Like I said, economics one thinking. Hey, it's the same again. Let's talk to scam. Um, they put out a trading update for uh, 21 weeks and I guess yeah, I mean, give or take, um, that's quite close to, I mean, what there would be. How many trading we- trading weeks? 48, somewhere there? Uh, well, 46. So this is about half, halfway between, uh, you know, uh, I guess, yeah, this is a 21 weeks to 26 January 2022. So a few, uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, a good showing here, double-digit growth, even if you exclude some of the income they would have made from the many vaccinations that they've uh, given out. Uh, what do you make of these numbers? Um, so um, I'm, 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 they literally are copy and paste of Texas trading updates and where the growth is. I think this game has done incredibly well. It has done incredibly well in the pandemic. They're one of the beneficiaries of um, the pandemic. Remember, they also uh, um, acquired uh, Medicare as well. And they're moving towards more of the pharmaceutical value chain. Remember last year they did a BE deal. And part of the reasons why I suspect they want, they did the BE deal was to access to be more of a plug and play into government's um, supply chain. Specifically because I think we've, I think we've all come with a nuanced fact that we're going to, e-COVID is going to be with us for a very long time. And this booster shot reoccurring and then, We've always we've, there's been a move towards um, telemedicine, and also the fact that a lot of people have been buying vitamins, uh, like vitamins and immune boosters. I won't even lie to you. I never I've never consumed as many immune boosters as I consume now. Purely driven by um, the COVID, I think it just made us more aware. Like they, they they're literally printing money. They and click. They are printing money. I can't even, like, and some of tears that, mm. but, like, so a, so the fact that this let, is excluding yeah. the vaccine will tell you they are printing money. Sure, sure. Talk to me about, I guess, the, the wholesale platform. You did say this is very similar to um, the Clicks case, and, of course, Clicks also has a very uh, massive upstream distribution network. So do these guys. Um, that wholesale showing there, uh, what do you make of, um, I guess, some of the growth that's been seen there? So the wholesale literally mimics uh, the retail. So they had increased the wholesale by 10%. And external customers, they went up by 13%. And even if you eliminate um, Medicare, and this is this is where the, that's why they're printing money, they sell growth of 37%. That is literally insane. In still the economy, it's insane. 
they're literally printing money and getting that value chain. I think part of, um, I always say there's opportunity in a crisis mm. in that you see where your value chain, your wholesale, your plug-and-play um, medicine, telemedicine has grown especially well. So you want to connect to the value chain. And the fact that they seen as a possible service provider to government in some of these um in some of these um in, 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 in these markets. Yeah. Like I said. You can't like a call needs to even hate. Like you know when it's just yeah. And like then, when you look at yeah, yeah. These, these numbers, you're just on some like guys. Healthcare is one of those things where it is both in need and a want. Some will, so in the absence of people going to so part of the, the what we noticed when people stopped going to doctors because of the pandemic, people would self diagnose. And and also the paranoid fear of immune boosters, buying any vitamin B, now we have to have vitamin B twelve, iron, zinc, calcium, vitamin C, all of these things, it drives your revenue. And that is what you would call what what's nice about that market is if it's 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 um because you're doing a perishable product, the customers are buying every single month. Mm, mm. So your basket, and this is where the interstate basket size has grown. Yeah, yeah. Stacey, Paul, let, let's shift away from this particular pharmaceuticals one, because I also want us, just as we wrap up, to take a look at the latest out of the mining sector. And uh, I think a lot has been said over the last 24 months or so about uh, the rally in commodity prices. Um, and it seems now that, uh, yeah, the offer, which has been changed somewhat of... Uh, uh, I think it's 800 rand each year for three years in the gold sector has uh, received a flat rejection from AMCU and the National Union of Mine Workers and UASA. Uh, what do you make of this and I guess how this is going to unfold uh, for the um, massive mega miner uh, that uh, Sibanye has uh, effectively become? Um, so if you look at Neil Foreman, um he's not a fan of unions. So um, I'm not surprised. And I don't think him. unions like him much. Either. I don't think there's, there's mutual. We don't like mm, each other. Mm. We don't mess with each other. I, I think we just I need to accept that. So for me, this was a long time coming. Um, as it is going into strike, and if they don't go into strike, it's going to it's going to be heavily protracted. But literally, Neil has no, never been a fan of unions. It's it was it was always hitting there. Mm, 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 mm. Like I don't know why we're I don't know why we're surprised. I, I get the unions argument because. I won't even pretend. Inflation is about five percent. I don't know why I keep seeing five percent of the news. I can tell you now, it's not five percent. Because I can feel it, and if I can feel it, someone who's a blue collar worker, lower income, can feel it even more. Yeah, which tells me that the rate of the increase is not is not sufficient, or the cost of living does not. The cost mm. of living has not. Um. Um, moved in the same direction as the cost of income growth. Yeah. Then you have the fear of unemployment, which is what employers used to as um, sort of um, a stick thing. Oh, you could be unemployed and earn nothing. Hmm. But you're not paying someone a living wage. Yeah. And I think, and for the dangers of mining, I've always maintained this is a principal situation for the dangers of mining. Neil's not working his life every day. That's sitting in. But also, so, why, are, why are miners, if you add risk into the equation as you've just done there, why are South African miners, if you compare them to some of the miners elsewhere in the world, you know, paid 
differently. I mean, our ore bodies in gold, for example, are much deeper, which uh, introduces a measure of risk that is probably disproportionately larger than what might happen in the mining of gold in a place like Australia. Yet it seems people in Australia are paid a lot more than some of the workers here in South Africa. So there's two factors. Number one, their mines are better built and they've improved to upgraded safety. Number one, just from a safety perspective, even if you exclude the income, they're safer mm. than the ones here in Essex. Just from, now let's add the economic aspect of it. Quite frankly, um, miners in Australia are white. Miners in South Africa are predominantly black. Black bodies are not recognized from a value attrition perspective. Add the, add the history of apartheid and the genuine um, dislike of the, 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 the genuine um, thing of South Africa was known for cheap labor, cheap electricity. Alas, here we are. Snezibor? Masishi Apposuswam, thank you very much for your time. And uh, yeah, so we chat again. That there was Nesipo Manindra uh, speaking to us.